Hello, welcome to Second Impressions, the Pride and Prejudice podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Tom. And we're going through Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice chapter by chapter. So today we're doing volume two, chapter two. But Tom, why don't you give us a recap on what happened in chapter one? Okay, volume one, chapter one. We get another letter from Caroline Bingley confirming that the Bingley party is not coming back to Netherfield anytime soon. And that Bingley is sorry he didn't have a chance to say to go- goodbye to his many, many friends in that neighborhood. Um, also, Caroline says in this letter that Bingley is now living in Darcy's house, which of course brings him even more in contact with Miss Darcy, who Caroline <laughs> not so subtly wants uh, Mr. Bingley to marry. Mm. This letter does not go over very well in the Bennett household. Jane is pretty much devastated, but she says that it's all her fault. She just mistook Bingley's intentions. He never meant to marry her, and she just wanted it to happen more than it was likely. Elizabeth thinks the exact opposite, that Caroline and Darcy are working together to keep Bingley apart from Jane so that he'll marry Miss Darcy. Mrs. Bennet is very, very upset when she hears that Bingley is not coming back. Uh, Elizabeth tries to explain it to her, but to no avail. She she accepts it for the moment. Elizabeth tells Miss Bennet, Mrs. Bennet, like you know, don't. It was all just a misunderstanding. She's echoing Jane's words here, just to like keep peace in the household. And Mrs. Bennet accepts it for a second, and then the next day she's like, "Where's Bingley?" <laughs> um, but fortunately. Mr. Wickham is around, or unfortunately, to comfort Jane, I mean, to comfort Elizabeth, and also to badmouth Darcy with her and the whole Bennett family, so this brings a little bit of relief. <laughs> Everyone's favorite pastime, uh, shit on Darcy. <laughs> when in doubt. Uh, okay, Grace, will you tell us what happens in chapter two? Okay, so in case everyone has forgotten, Mr. Collins has also been in um, Hartfordshire, staying at Longbourn this whole time. But in chapter two, Mr. Collins finally leaves um, to go back to his parsonage to prepare for the wedding slash prepare for, like, his house um, for Charlotte once they are wed. Um, And then in other news, um, Mrs. Bennet's brother and wife, the gardeners, come to visit uh, the Bennet family from London. So remember, it seems like Mrs. Bennet has a sister, the Philip of Mrs. Phillips, and she also has a brother of the gardeners. Um, Elizabeth tells Mrs. Gardner the whole Jane and Bingley fiasco, um, just how, like, uh, you know, um, pretty much that there is, I mean, Elizabeth will say to Mrs. Gardner that there's just no hope of Jane and Bingley getting back together. Um, Mrs. Gardner offers to take Jane back to London with them, I guess, for a little, a little pick-me-up after her first big heartbreak. Um... Then the Bennets, to celebrate the gardeners being in town, I guess throw parties every night um, just because they can. And of course, who else but Mr. Wickham is at these parties, you know, just moseying around, um, striking up conversations with anyone. And Mrs. Gardner is also seeing um, how close Elizabeth is getting with Mr. Wickham. And she tells herself that she will talk to Elizabeth about what exactly is going on with between her and Wickham. Um, and another funny uh, tidbit that we find out is that Mrs. Gardner is actually from the same town as Wickham, where they so they kind of grew up in the same town. And Darcy. And Darcy, most importantly. Um, and I guess upon after some like some chit chat, maybe Mrs. Gardner also sort of remembers the Darcy family being like a very proud family. Um, but we'll get into just how potentially how reliable this memory is and. Um, just how much water this memory can hold. Yeah, we'll get into all this. Yeah. All right. So that's the summary of chapter two, but let's get right into that. I'll go ahead and start us off, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. So chapter two, volume two, chapter two. After (laughs) After a week spent in professions of love and schemes of felicity, (laughs) Mr. Collins was called from his amiable Charlotte by the arrival of Saturday. (laughs) So Mr. Collins has been here the whole week professing his love and scheming, (laughs) making schemes of felicity. I think that just means like he's planning like his future marriage with Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're talking about furniture. Maybe they're talking about new clothing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's meant to be kind of sarcastic. It's 
the schemes of Felicity. Yeah. Felicity right. kind of... Felicity has... Uh, is one of Austin's favorite words. Here it just means happiness, I think. Mm-hmm. Another use for Felicity is when something is very well-worded. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what it means in this case. No. Uh, and professions of love. There's another... Uh, another one of Austin's favorite words, professions. I feel like we talked about this in the last chapter also. Yeah. So anytime you see the word profession, you can pretty much be assured that there is like, it's a, it's being used a little sarcastically, right? And they're both sort of being undercut by something as sort of like humdrum as the arrival of Saturday. Uh, oh, absolutely. It wasn't yeah. anything kind of like out of the ordinary. It was just like by time. By the fact that he had to go. <laughs> yeah, they, they weren't, like, torn apart by forces beyond them. I guess yeah, he just had to go back to... Uh, for to, Sunday yeah, service. To yeah, yeah, for Sunday service. Absolutely. That's a good point. That's why he has to leave on Saturday, because <laughs> he's got to go preach church on Monday. Right. Let's not forget, he is a man of God. Yeah, so he has been spending the whole week professing his love to Charlotte mm-hmm. and making plans <laughs> for how happy their marriage is going to be, and now he's going to go back home and preach a sermon. <laughs> From his amiable Charlotte. Okay. The pain of separation, however, might be alleviated on his side by preparations for the reception of his bride, as he had reason to hope that shortly after his next return to Hertfordshire, the day would be fixed that was to make him the happiest of men. This is at least the third time that we've seen this phrase in connection with Collins. This is a a good drinking game. Anytime he calls himself the happiest of men. Uh, So it's saying the pain that Collins is going to feel when he leaves Charlotte. That's Mm -hmm. also sarcastic. It's not like (laughs) Collins' heart is going to be rended out of his chest. The pangs of the Uh, heart. uh, Maybe the slight annoyance. However, <laughs> might be alleviated on his side. So, like, some the pain that he's feeling on leaving Charlotte might be dispelled by the preparations he's going to make to his home in order to receive his bride. Mm-hmm. Because he has reason to hope that the next time he comes into Hertfordshire, Charlotte is finally going to tell him the day when they can get married, right? They'll finally fix the date for the <laughs> marriage. Yeah. Not even that they'll be married, but that he'll she'll finally name a date. <laughs> yeah. He is really pressing her to uh, name a date. I, I feel like that's, we've been, everything we've heard about Collins since Charlotte accepted his match is like, I'm going to keep pressing Charlotte till she gives me an exact date. Yeah, just name the date because Lady Catherine is still still asking when I'm going to get married. Yeah, well, that was going to be what I was going to ask you, Grace, is why is uh, Collins so, like, hot to trot to get married, basically? Basically, probably because every time he goes back to his parish, Lady, uh, so, yeah, Lady Catherine is just like, so when are you getting married? I thought you'd be married by now. And, of course, you know, nothing truly hurts Mr. Collins more than breaking Lady Catherine's heart. Uh-huh. So he's like, Charlotte, look, like Lady Catherine wants us to get married. So he probably even mentions Lady Catherine in his, you know, in his like soliloquies to, oh, to Charlotte. Uh-huh. But yeah, like, she, well, yeah, he's just like, come on, let's, let's get married. In a past chapter, he says to the Bennets that Charlotte's not going to be able to deny naming a date any longer once she hears how much Lady Catherine wants this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he, he just he truly thinks everyone is on the same boat as him in terms of how important Lady Catherine is. Yeah, well, we've gone through this before, but just to reiterate, the reason that this is extra funny, these professions of love and schemes of felicity, is it's not like Collins came into the neighborhood and met Charlotte and like fell suddenly in love with her. Like He came there looking for a wife. And yeah. after getting rejected by Elizabeth, then he proposed to Charlotte because she was, like, close by, I guess. Yeah, not even just thinking about it, not even just getting rejected by Elizabeth, but also, like, being um, persuaded to pivot from Jane to Elizabeth by Mrs. Bennet. Uh-huh. So he came here looking to basically marry the eldest daughter. And then when that was sort of like, eh, maybe marry the second eldest, he was like, okay. So then he proposed to Elizabeth. And then Charlotte basically became his third choice. Charlotte is choice number three. Uh huh. And it's the only reason he's doing this is because Lady Catherine told him you got to get married. Right. So he, they're yeah. yeah. He's he's feeling no pressure to get married. It's just Lady Catherine's, or, or rather, he's not. The only pressure he's feeling to get married comes from Lady Catherine. That's all it is. Yeah. So there's no romance in this arrangement at all, and that's why it's hilarious when like. You know, both Collins himself and Austin, in reference to Collins, uses these sort of, like, courtly terms, Mm -hmm. like, you know, professions of love, schemes of happiness, like, the happiest of men. It is... I don't want to poo-poo on this phrase, but it's just, like, now now I I literally can't see anyone saying, will you do me the honor of making me the happiest of men without just, like, rolling my eyes? Like, maybe the person proposing is being sincere about it, but it's just so... 
is just such a cloying, trite, cliche term now, at least for me after reading uh, Pride and Prejudice, where I'm just like, oh, I hope I never have to hear this phrase in real life. <laughs> I can imagine. I'm sure Austin heard that in her real life. Maybe <laughs> she knew someone who used it a lot. Maybe, yeah. Who knows? We can't, I don't want to speculate on that, but <laughs> it, it seems like there is a reason Austin keeps like putting these words, like attributing them to Collins again and again. Right. Now, this wasn't just like a copy paste mistake. Like she knows exactly what terms she's using when she's describing Collins and having him say the happiest of men over and over and over again. Um, just demonstrates how hollow everything he says is. And truly, the person that has made Collins the happiest of men is Lady Catherine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and with good reason. I mean, she's basically propped him up in life. She's given, given him this cushy job in this nice house. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Collins took his leave of his relations at Longbourn, meaning the Bennets, with as much solemnity as before. <laughs> With as much, like, gravity and seriousness. Yeah, see any other chapter where he has to leave Longbourn. <laughs> <laughs> he wished his fair cousin's health and happiness again and promised their father another letter of thanks. <laughs> oh, I'm sure Mr. Bennett is waiting with bated breath on this other letter. <laughs> uh, uh, you want to read the next paragraph for us, Grace? Sure. On the following Monday... I do. It's interesting that they kind of just Jane Austen just skips Sunday because Sunday is when they would go to church. Yeah. But I guess it's just nothing important happened on Sunday. Well, this is a larger conversation. We never go to church yeah. with Austin. Not in this book. I Not in any other Austin books I've read. There's one scene in... I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. There's a scene in Mansfield Park where they all go into, like, the chapel of this home. But even then, the only thing they're doing there is, like, having pretend marriages. They're just <laughs> using it as another excuse to flirt. Mm. Austin is not really interested in bringing us into, like, religious ceremonies. No. Um, okay, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but also that is, that's it for Collins for this chapter. That one paragraph is, that's the Collins Charlotte. Now yep. we're going to move to something else. <laughs> so yeah, on the following Monday, Mrs. Bennett had the pleasure of receiving her brother and his wife, who came as usual to spend the Christmas at Longbourn. Okay, so yeah, it wasn't just because that they came to visit, it was Christmas time. Um, Mr. Gardner was a sensible, gentleman-like man, greatly superior to his sister as well by nature as education. <laughs> Yes, so as you mentioned, Gardner is Mrs. Bennett's brother. Mm -hmm. So Mrs. Bennett's maiden name... Must have been Gardner, Gardner yeah. yeah. And uh, he is vastly superior to his sister. <laughs> the Netherfield ladies would have had difficulty in believing that a man who lived by trade and within view of his own warehouses could have been so well-bred and agreeable. Okay, so this is also an interesting little insight into the world, into Austin's world. It's almost like Austin sort of knew maybe that some context would need to be provided about such things as like the fact that he a is like a, a works in trade he's a tradesman mm. and he lives within view of his warehouses meaning he like basically lives close to where he works which is sort of like seen which is sort of like looked down on almost it's perverse but you're not respectable people don't work at all in Austin right, yeah. society. Let's get that uh, out there first. <laughs> yeah. And we talked, like, the Bingleys were earlier, several chapters back, like, you know, uh, criticizing the Bennets because they have these relations who work and trade in town. Mm -hmm. And let's just remind everyone, where did the Bingley money come from? From trade. Yeah. So this yeah. is how respectability works. It's basically just the longer money is in a family. Yeah. The further you can distance yourself from the actual, like, the actual factories, the actual product that's being put out there, the more, like, uh, um, esteemed or like elite you are um but this is such a commonly held idea in austin's time that it's like crass to work in business and make your own money that i feel like she had to include this sentence that even though <laughs> mr gardner worked in trade he was still very agreeable yeah and i think like austin is like a very you know, I, I was thinking about this after our last chapter. She's a sly anti-authoritarian. <laughs> She's always, like, flipping authority on its head. And so I think this is an example of it. By making Mr. and Mrs. Gardner so, like, well-mannered and educated and respectable, she is kind of flipping this idea that people who work in trade are crass on its head. Yeah, we already know, sort of just by this description, that Mr. Gardner and maybe presumably Mrs. Gardner have, like, a more... Um, level head on their shoulders than like the frenetic Mrs. Mrs. Bennett running running around the house. Whereas like t technically yes, the Bennets are sort of like of a higher social standing than the Gardeners. Yeah, because they don't work. Exactly, but we'll see in this chapter and in future chapters that it's actually the Gardeners who are way more sensible, way more intelligent, 
um, and just, like, overall better people. Yeah, and I think Austin knows what she's doing. She's doing this on purpose because she herself believes this idea that, oh, you can't make your own money is pretty ridiculous. Right, yeah. Let's not forget that Jane Austen made her own money. <laughs> well, she's a published author. Exactly. Uh, which is very crass. You, you <laughs> do not publish your own work. Uh-uh, uh, she, yeah, she had to publish it under a pseudonym. Uh, okay, all right. But anyway, so, yeah, the Netherfield ladies would have had difficulty in believing that a man who lived in trade, who lived by trade, and within view of his own warehouses, could have been so well-bred and agreeable. Right. Mrs. Gardner, who was several years younger than Mrs. Bennet and Mrs. Phillips, was an amiable, intelligent, elegant woman, and a great favorite with all her long-born nieces. Between the two eldest and herself especially, there subsisted a very particular regard. They had frequently been staying with her in town. Meaning Jane Elizabeth had frequently stayed with the gardeners in when, London. Yeah, in London. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so, okay, it's also good. It gives you a little insight into Mrs. Gardner. So she is younger by, by several years than Mrs. Ben and Mrs. Phillips. And she's smart, she's elegant, and um, the favorite of the nieces, probably because she is closer in age to them. We're trying to fit, we were trying to figure out, maybe trying to pin down the exact ages of these women, but... We're kind of we're kind of suspecting the Bennets maybe are in their forties. I think that's safe to say, yeah. Yeah, and so having Mrs. Gardner be several years younger, she's probably in her like early, maybe mid, not even mid. I would say early thirties. Early thirties. We don't know. We don't maybe know. Maybe even late twenties. Sort of, but yeah. she, I think the general idea is even though Mrs. Gardner is technically Elizabeth's aunt. They have, they're more like friends, like, they're more like peers than Mrs. Gardner is definitely not, like, an elderly, like, sort of presence in their lives. No, she's not going to be, like, a maternal figure. They're more like cousins, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I guess this is just to illustrate that, like, Mrs. Gardner, despite the, the, the misses in her name, she is still pretty much in this, the same age as Elizabeth and Jane, if not just, like, a tiny bit older. Yeah, so Mr. Gardner has a younger wife than himself. Yes. Uh-huh. Um... The first part of Mrs. Gardner's business on her arrival was to distribute her presents and describe the newest fashions. And why is Mrs. Gardner the one to tell the Bennets about the newest fashions? Because she's hailing from London. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It'd be like your cool cousin from New York City who came back to like their humdrum town with like Gucci purses or like whatever's like I I, I don't even I'm probably just like dating myself by <laughs> by name dropping things like Gucci, but like yeah, just like coming home with a sack of presents from like the latest fashions and. Um, telling you what the what everyone's wearing. Uh huh. Yes, definitely. My family f- from out of town loves it when I come back from New York and tell them all about the newest fashions. Oh yeah. Every time, like when my family goes to visit my relatives in like China, we always have to bring like a massive ton of like designer crap to like a- to like appease them because it's like, ooh, you're coming from like America. You need to like bring all of your like American goods. I like that comparison. I think that's what's happening on a smaller scale here. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> maybe a, a drastically smaller scale, but, but you know. But still, like it was. It took a lot of time to travel, even between like London and you know where Hertfordshire, which yeah. is probably not that far away. Like maybe fifty so miles. Right. I, I don't know for certain, but. Yeah, but it's also like, you know, the the Bennett daughters and the Bennett family could not just like, for example, order clothes to come from London because A, they're not that wealthy and B, it would have just been like so difficult for that to even be feasible. Um, So you, to have a relative come from London to Hertfordshire and bring presents is like, that, that was like the only way that they could even access what the latest fashions were. Right. Here's what's happening in the city. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Bingleys, for example, the Bingleys go back and forth between London and, and Hertfordshire, and so by that virtue, I guess Caroline is way more fashionable because she has her, like, finger on the pulse of all things fashionable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's easier when you're richer. The Bennets yeah. don't have money to, like, they have, like, one carriage. They don't have the money to send <laughs> their daughters in a carriage yeah. to London. And the uh-huh. horses are used for manual labor yeah. in addition to pulling the carriage. So, so they're dependent on the gardeners to know about what's happening in town versus mm-hmm. the Bingleys who are rich enough to just, like, you know, go wherever they want. Yeah. Okay, but but I digress. Um, okay. When this was done, she had a less active part to play. <laughs> Meaning Mrs. Gardner. Yeah. Yeah. It became her turn to listen. Mrs. Bennet had many grievances to relate and much to complain of. Um, they had all been very ill-used since she last saw her sister. All of them. Okay, her sister meaning Mrs. Gardner. Yeah, so, so Mrs. Bennet, or no, the Bennets, but also, but I mean really just Mrs. Bennet, had all been very ill-used since Mrs. Bennet last saw Mrs. Gardner. 
Uh, and just like another a little note, they don't really use the term like brother-in-law, sister-in-law so much in Austin's time. Right. So like a sister-in-law would just be referred to as a sister. Mm-hmm. Um, two of her girls had been on the point of marriage, and after all, there was nothing in it. Okay, yeah, so this is Mrs. Bennett's big complaint. Yeah. yeah, they had all been ill-used because two of her girls were almost married, and after all that, nothing came of it, right? And after all that, it's not Christmas, and not an, not an engagement in sight. It's hard to feel for Mrs. Bennett. She's such a ridiculous, narcissistic character. Mm-hmm. But this is the reason she's been so upset lately, because, you know... Her goal in life is to get all of her daughters married, and she thought she was really close to getting two of them married, and nothing happened, so that's pretty devastating for her. I'd say she was close to getting one of them married. (laughs) Yeah, oh, she's definitely exaggerating the likelihood of Elizabeth and Colin. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and read this. Okay. So this is Mrs. Bennett speaking. I do not blame Jane, she continued, for Jane would have got Mr. Bingley if she could. But Lizzie, oh, sister... It is very hard to think that she might have been Mr. Collins's wife by this time, had not it been for her own perverseness. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love how, to Elizabeth, it's the height of perversity to accept Collins' marriage. Yeah. But to, I mean proposal, but to Mrs. Bennet, it's the height of perversity to reject it. <laughs> he made her an offer. Mr. Collins made Elizabeth an offer in this very room, and she refused him. It's like they're sitting in the scene of the crime. <laughs> the consequence of it is that Lady Lucas will have a daughter married before I have, and that Longbourn estate is just as much entailed as ever. Okay, let's let's time out here for a second. I like, okay, the consequence of it is, first of all, first pettiness. and foremost, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pe- by, by and large, uh-huh. the most important result of it is that Lady Lucas will have a daughter married before I have. Those, um, not that my, my daughter's heartbroken, not that, like, not that, well, yeah, basically not that my daughter is is heartbroken right now, but that I have to bear the embarrassment of having Lady Lucas's daughter married before my daughter's. I've been shown up by that those trash the Lucas that trash the Lucases, right? <laughs> First of all, yeah, I've been shown up by the Lucases, and second of all, that our estate is just as much entailed as ever. Okay, what is okay? Let's 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 um, break that down. Just as much entailed as ever. So she is saying basically that if Elizabeth had said yes to Collins' proposal, that then the house would no longer be entailed. But that's not that's true. That's not true. Collins is going to get the house no matter what. It's like one of those instances where you, someone learns a word and doesn't quite know the definition of it, and then they just keep using that word, uh-huh. and it's like they just don't know what they're saying. This is like Mrs. Bennett with the word entailed. She just doesn't know what it means. She just knows that she should be offended by it. To say something like our estate is is entailed as much as ever is absurd yeah Uh, like the entailment's not going to change no matter what like she the thing that she's upset about is she thought elizabeth would be she would inherit longbourn if she married collins right but Uh, even if she inherited longbourn she would still inherit it as it is entailed to her would-be gross would-be fiance mr collins right because but like there's no unentailing something here. Yeah, it's not like if Elizabeth did marry Collins, the house would be unentailed. It's just that Collins would inherit it with a Bennett as his wife. Right. Uh-huh. The entailment is just like a personal insult to Mrs. Bennett, and the only way it could no longer be an insult is if like is if Elizabeth were, if a, da- a daughter were to inherit Longbourn. Mrs. Bennett can't, like, parse out these subtleties, though, you right. know? If, like, something bad happens, then, oh, you know, it, it's just entailed as ever, like... <laughs> Another entailment! Uh, right, exactly. It's doubly entailed now. <laughs> uh, okay, she goes on to say, The Lucases are very artful people indeed, sister. Yeah. Artful meaning tricky. Like, yeah. the Lucases are very tricky people indeed. They are all for what they can get. <laughs> I am sorry to say it of them, but so it is. It makes me very nervous and poorly to be thwarted so in my own family and to have neighbors who think of themselves who think of themselves before anybody else. So, okay, they're very artful. They're all for what they can get. And this this is the Lucases. Mm-hmm. And they think of themselves before anybody else. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Mrs. Bennett. Mrs. Bennett. So she's just <laughs> upset that someone is now playing her own game. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. And also Okay, Charlotte did scheme a little bit to win over Collins, 
but Sir William and Lady Lucas had nothing to do with this match. Yeah, and in terms of scheming, like, good lord, it does not take a lot to, like, put an idea into Mr. Collins's head to propose to a woman. We've seen that already. So it's not like, it's not like she was, she, she was even stealing him from someone. She, she schemed insofar as, like, what, she met up with him on a road one time? Yeah. And that was, like, enough. Well, she showed him some, like, kindness, and he was like, yeah. hey, I'm looking for a wife. <laughs> You'll do as good as anyone. Yeah. All right, but then let's break this down a little bit. It makes me very nervous and poorly... Nervous just means, like, it, it takes a toll on my nerves, I think. Yeah. Like, it stresses me out. It's not that different from how we use nervous. It's it's more sort of attuned to her describing her nerves, like, her poor nerves. Uh, I think generally the sentiment is just, like, this. it stresses me out, mm-hmm. this idea. Mm-hmm. To be thwarted so in my own family. Okay, how was she thwarted in her own family? She thinks Elizabeth betrayed her, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that Elizabeth rejected Collins just to hurt Mrs. Bennet. <laughs> and to have neighbors, the Lucases, who think of themselves before anybody else, because, I guess, in Mrs. Bennett's mind, once the Lucases learned of Charlotte's engagement to Mr. Collins, they should have, like, denied it and let one of the Bennets marry him. Exactly. Right? It's like, it's not a fault to think of yourself, uh, to think of your own family before your neighbor's uh, family. But Mrs. Bennett certainly would take any advantage away from the Lucases that she could. Yeah. She's just upset that someone did it to her. Yeah. Okay. So Mrs. Bennett goes on to say, however, you're coming, Mrs. Gardner. Just at this time is the greatest of comforts, and I am very glad to hear what you tell us of long sleeves. <laughs> All right, this is talking about the fashion. Yeah. So I guess this is the hot fashion in London at the time. Everyone's wearing long sleeves. Mm-hmm. And so Mrs. Bennett's like, even though I've been so illy, <laughs> ill-used, at least you're here to comfort me and tell me about long sleeves. Yeah, which just, again, sort of undercuts all of, like, Mrs. Bennett's self-proclaimed... Um, um sufferings that it can be like that it can be like um calmed down by like oh sleeves are in (laughs) (laughs) by hearing about new fashions yeah Yeah. like oh that's (laughs) that brings me some comfort to hear that people are wearing long sleeves now yeah it's if you if you couldn't pick it up it's meant to be a joke how sincerely does mrs bennett mean it i don't know it's hard to say I think maybe she does mean it. It's just she does. She's not a very deep person, so she's almost like a goldfish. Like maybe she is hurt in the moment, but she is probably also equally comforted in the moment by long sleeves. Uh, at least you're showing me something shiny to distract <laughs> me for a second. Exactly. Okay, Mrs. Gardner, to whom the chief of this news had been given before, so she's heard all of this <laughs> in the course of Jane and Elizabeth's correspondence with her, meaning mm-hmm. the letters that they wrote to each other. Mm-hmm made her sister a slight answer, and in compassion to her nieces, turned the conversation. Okay, so Mrs. Gardner has already heard everything that Mrs. Bennett has relayed because Jane and Elizabeth have been writing to her. Uh, um, and, and now, out of sympathy for Jane and Elizabeth, she's going to turn the conversation away to some other subject. Yeah. Also Maybe. another clue to her sort of like emotional maturity compared to Mrs. Bennett. Mm-hmm. Even though she's much younger. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she, Mrs. Gardner, she's on Jane and Elizabeth's side. Yeah. Okay, you want to keep going? Sure. When alone with Elizabeth afterwards, Mrs. Gardner spoke more on the subject. It seems likely to have been a desirable match for Jane, said she. I am sorry it went off. But these things happen so often. A young man such as you describe, Mr. Bingley, so easily sir, so easily falls in love with a pretty girl for a few weeks, and when accident separates them, so easily forgets her, and that these sort of inconsistencies are very frequent. Okay, yeah, so Mrs. Gardner's just like, you know, I'm sorry this marriage didn't happen, it would have been great, but, you know, this happens all the time. Young man will come into town, he'll meet a pretty girl, he'll, like, think about her all the time, and then something will happen that'll separate him, and he'll just move on to other other women, other things in his life, basically, right? Yeah, also, like, Mrs. Gardner, she is sort of speaking from a place of more experience. She is married, she has, um, she's married, she lives in London, she probably has seen more than enough fancy men pro- professing love for pretty girls and then basically ghosting them as well. And I think this like passage kind of speaks to the uphill battle that all women in this book are facing is that they're basically stuck in one place where mm-hmm. men can go around and do anything they want. Yeah, exactly. Like Mr. Bingley, quote unquote, went away when he didn't, quote unquote, he actually went to London on business um, and then just 
had the option to stay there and he stayed there like women can't do that they yeah. have to first of all they have to be like under constant supervision and they can't really just fly back and forth between london and the country the countryside anytime they want they can't just like take out the carriage without having like a chaperone with them unfortunately yeah it's easy to move on from a match when you can do anything you want and you meet like new people all the time it's hard when you're stuck in like a country town mm -hmm. and you're just like desperately waiting for people to come visit you oh as i'm talking i just realized so the another difference between the bingleys and um the gardeners even though they're both technically in trade is that um mr bingley does not live where he works he can live wherever he chooses and then will occasionally go go to london on business yeah but well, the gardeners that business yeah who is. even knows what that even means does he have to sign a few documents i don't think mr bingley works no he doesn't work uh, his father made the money right, right? Uh -huh. he, he went to london on business but we don't even he's that's what he said right yeah it's his yeah. own business i'm not sure if that means in relation to like the family company or whatever I don't really know, but I guess it was sort of like he still has quote unquote obligations, um, but that's I mean he yeah he also comes from like um, passed down wealth by so, his like probably his grandfather or something right I think it's his father who it's made his father. the money yeah oh, okay. so, so not but, even that big a degree of separation no but the one like transference of a generation like the idea that it's the money's been in the family one generation makes them more respectable than the gardeners who made their own money. Hypothetically, if the Gardeners became as successful as, like, Mr. Bingley's father, then Mr. Gardner's son would be, like, a Bingley type. Then he's going to be in the same status of Bingley. Yeah, which just inherently, like, lends to how ridiculous this, 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 this whole, you know status hierarchy is you know it's hard for us especially as americans to understand because we're obsessed with the idea of like the self-made person yeah but i think and i you know i don't know i'm not british but i think the idea is that like the more known your family is the more respectable they are right mm. so the longer other rich people know about your family the that increases your respectability yeah yeah you don't want to be nouveau riche and that that's like it's like that's everything Caroline's trying to distance herself from is the idea that the Bingleys are nouveau riche and marrying the Darcy's would be a huge step up step up in like solidifying their um their status and like their sort of legitimacy. Uh and that's why she like makes fun of the gardeners also. Yes. Partially from insecurity, but also socially it's just because oh they make their own money. They're they're new rich, right? Yeah, exactly. Know. Okay. Okay, yeah, well, okay, so Jen Mrs. Gardner says, like, you know, I'm sorry that Bingley ran off, but this happens all the time. Men, like, fall in love with a woman, and then something else comes up, and they just forget about her, right? Mm. What does Elizabeth say? An excellent consolation in its way, said Elizabeth. That's a little sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. just like, thanks. Um, but it will not do for us. We do not suffer by accident. Mm. It does not often happen that the interference of friends will persuade a young man of independent fortune to think no more of a girl who he, whom he was violently in love with only a few days before. Great. So Elizabeth is not letting go of her theory that it wasn't just like being fallen out, falling out of love of Jane. It's It was um, outside meddling that did it too. Right, right, right. Which is... I think that's pretty fair to say. Oh, it is fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she's saying like, oh, <laughs> thanks, Mrs. Gardner. You know, <laughs> that, that's a great consolation normally, but we have a very unique si situation here. Yeah, we do not suffer by accident. It wasn't It wasn't just like happenstance that Bingley sort of fell out of love of Jane. Um, it does not often happen, but it happened. She's saying it does not often happen, but this is what happened to us. Uh -huh. That the interference of friends will persuade a young man of independent fortune to think no more of a girl whom he was violently in love with only a few days before. Yeah, it is no accident that Bingley has just forgot about Jane. Like, yeah. this is because of the influence of his sisters and Mr. Darcy. Mm -hmm. uh, but Mrs. Gardner says to this, but the expression violently in love is so hack hackneyed. 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 The, <laughs> but the expression violently in love is so hackneyed, so doubtful, so indefinite, that it gives me very little idea. It is as often applied to feelings which arise from a half hour's acquaintance as to real strong attachment. Pray, how violent was Mr. Bingley's love? But so, okay, Mrs. Gardner is basically like, Elizabeth's like, Bingley was violently in love <laughs> with Jane. Yeah. And then his friends separated them. Mm. And Mrs. Gardner in response says, but 
violin love that's like kind of a cliche i don't know what that means yeah, so i like, expected more from you uh, than that. <laughs> yeah like everyone says they're violently in love even if they've only known each other a half hour yeah so tell me elizabeth like what was the true extent of bingley's feelings was he really as in love with jane as you tell me she is mm-hmm. I, I mean he was sorry yeah um i never saw a more promising inclination he was growing quite at- inattentive to other people and wholly engrossed by her Every time they met, it was more decided and remarkable. At his own ball, he offended two or three young ladies by not asking them to dance, and I spoke to him twice myself without receiving an answer. Could there be finer symptoms? Is not general incivility the very essence of love? It's another one of my favorite lines. Yeah. Is not general incivility the very essence of love? And I think that's the truth. It is. It's like, how do you tell when someone's in love with someone when they're not paying attention to anyone else, Uh, when they forget all social decorum and just like won't even listen to or like can't even hear the questions that you're asking them because their attentions are so focused on someone else? That is what Elizabeth is saying is a symptom of a violent love. Yes. And this is true. We know this, that he was inattentive to other people and wholly engrossed by jane mm-hmm. austin told this this time and again mm-hmm. this is some new info she gives us though that at his own ball he offended two or three young ladies by not asking them to dance mm, yeah we didn't know that either uh, and, and that elizabeth even spoke to bingley and like bingley just couldn't even pay attention to elizabeth probably because he was too focused on jane yeah i spoke to him twice myself without receiving an answer so is that like she can't she came up to Bingley and was like, hey, Bingley, how's it going? Yeah. And he was just so, like, obsessed with Jane. He didn't even respond. Is that what that's saying? I think that's what it's saying. I think it's so, like, too. I, tr- I spoke to him twice myself. I tried to, like, maybe start up a conversation with him twice. And he is, he was just like, he didn't even hear me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's true. I think that's all pretty fair to say that Elizabeth's not exaggerating here. No, like, these seem to be, like, specific um, instances that are proof. And I would believe it, too. If I saw if I if I saw all of these things of that Bingley was doing at his own ball, for instance, like I would believe that he was really into Jane. Yeah. Oh, that's a big deal when you're like, I'm not gonna dance with other women. I'm just gonna dance with this one. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of marking your intentions. Yeah. Okay. And Mrs. Gardner says to this, "Oh yes, of that kind of love which I suppose him to have felt. Poor, poor Jane. I am sorry for her because with her disposition." She may not get over it immediately. It had better have happened to you, Lizzie. (laughs) You would have laughed yourself out of it sooner. But do you think she would be prevailed on to go back with us? Change of scene might be of service. And perhaps a little relief from home may be as useful as anything. Hmm. Okay. So Elizabeth asks Mrs. Gardner, Bingley ignored everyone else except for Jane. Can there be a better indication that he was in love with her yeah and mrs gardner like admits that like yeah i guess that i guess you're right that must mean he's in love with her right Mm -hmm. poor jane i'm sorry for her because with her disposition with the way she acts with the way she thinks and behaves she's it's going to take her a little while to get over it which we've already seen yeah it had better happen to you lizzie because you would have been able to laugh yourself out of it that's the second relative now who's sort of like wanting elizabeth to have like, have had a flirtation, have had a romance, you know? Yeah. Well, we were talking about this in the previous chapter. Like, Jane can't think badly of anyone. (laughs) So I think that really hurts her, like, ability to get over Bingley. Yeah. Where Elizabeth has no problem thinking badly of people. So she would have just been like, oh, you know, he's a pushover, whatever. I'll move on, right? He wasn't really for me. Right. I think that's a pretty fair thing to... I I don't know. I think it is fair to say that Elizabeth would have gotten over way sooner than Jane would be able to. I agree. It's still kind of weird to be like, oh, I wish you were the one that was jilted. It is a strange thing to tell Elizabeth, like, ah, oh, if this had happened to you, you would probably things would probably have been better. <laughs> yeah, but it does mean Gar- Mrs. Gardner knows Elizabeth's temperament. Because yeah. we saw that happen with Elizabeth and Darcy in the very first ball. Yeah. Like, Darcy slights her and is outright rude about her, like, yeah. in the hearing of everyone. And what does she go? She goes and tells it to everyone else. Uh, she goes and tells it to Charlotte. And um, and I think maybe even Mrs. Ben, when Mrs. Ben finds out what Darcy did to Elizabeth, like, she finds the whole thing, like, hilarious. Yeah, Elizabeth can make a joke out of it. Yeah. Because uh, she inherited that from Mr. Bennett. Yeah, and that's what I, I honestly, that's one of the things that I really admire about Lizzie is that she's able to just sort of, like, laugh about ridiculous things, you know, not to harp on, like... Not to, like, let, not to really let bad things have power over her. Mm -hmm. Like, she's able to sort of, like, 
get herself out, dig herself out of a shitty situation a lot of the times. And, like, make make light of it, you know. Make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, I think she takes Mr. Bennett's, like, his coping mechanism of everything is hilarious because I'm so disappointed in my life and, I don't know, elevates it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, makes it so that it's not such a, a detriment to your life, you know, like, Mr. Bennett's cynicism is a huge detriment to not only his life, but his whole family. Uh-huh. Elizabeth still, her her sense of humor um, has so far, for the most part, just been, like, a, a source of joy, not a source of, like, um, not a source of, like, hurt for anyone else. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's less of a protective shell and more of her, a way of her owning, like, her own experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, a, we could imagine, like, someone of a weaker will, after hearing, like, a man of, like, Darcy's importance, like, slight her like that, <laughs> have really taken it to heart. Where Elizabeth's just like, well, he's a ridiculous person anyway, <laughs> why do I care what he thinks? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I really love about Elizabeth. But anyway. Um... Okay, well, anyway, that's why it would have been better if she had been slighted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Mrs. Garner then says, do you think Jane will come back to London with us? Because a change of scene might be of service, and perhaps a little relief from home <laughs> may be as useful as anything. Who, 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 what do you think she's referring to when she says a little relief from home? I think she's catching on that Mrs. Bennet is not being a very helpful person toward, to Jane's uh, mourning period right I think now. that's 100% about mrs bennett that's who she needs relief from yeah it's like yeah my sister-in-law is nuts let's get jane out of here for a second (laughs) how does elizabeth feel about that elizabeth was exceedingly pleased with this proposal and felt persuaded of her sister's ready acquiescence so Mm. elizabeth was like great idea and i think jane will also think it's a great idea yeah i hope added mrs gardner that no consideration with regard to this young man will influence her We live in so different a part of town, all our connections are so different, and, as you well know, we we go out so little that it is very improbable they should meet at all unless he really comes to see her. Mm, So Mrs. Gardner is also, like, catching on that, um, like, okay, because Mr. Bingley also, Mr. Bingley and company are right now in London. Yes. And Mrs. Gardner is offering to bring Jane to London with them to Uh, escape Mrs. Bennett's, um you know, nerves, I guess. Uh, yeah, her poor nerves. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then she's also warning, like, like, look, also, like, just, like, make sure that to, to, um, to be completely, op- um, to be completely, uh, what's the word, honest, like, uh, we live in a completely different part of town, there's, like, very little chance that she'll even see this young gentleman, aka Mr. Bingley, so mm-hmm. it's just, like, it, like, don't come under the assumption that you're gonna run into him because that's not gonna happen yeah yeah no consideration with regard to this young man will influence her basically meaning i hope jane doesn't think that she's gonna come to london and win bingley yeah because we live in such a different part of town and everyone we know is so different than the fashionable bingleys right Mm -hmm. and also we don't very we don't go out a whole lot we're not like party throwers we don't we don't hit up like the hot spots in town Mm -hmm. That it's very improbable that we'll meet unless Bingley comes specifically to see her. Yeah. And Elizabeth goes, and that is quite impossible. For he is now in the custody of his friend. And Mr. Darcy would no more suffer him to call on Jane in such a part of London. My dear Anne, how could you think of it? Mr. Darcy may perhaps have heard of such a place as Grace Church Street. But he would hardly think a month's ablution enough to cleanse him from its impurities were he once to enter it. And depend upon it, Mr. Bingley never stirs without him. Oof, so that is harsh. Yeah. That is, yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth's like, don't worry, like, obviously... Bingley's not going to come visit you when you're part of town. No, because he can't even wipe his own ass without <laughs> Mr. Darcy telling him he can. This word custody, she very purposely uses this to make us think of, like, jailers. Like, <laughs> he's basically, like, Mr. he is now the inmate of Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy is his jailer. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also see just sort of how how low, um, how such, like, much, much less respect that Elizabeth has for Mr. Bingley now, you know, like, and Mr. Bingley never stirs without him. It's like, and Mr. Bingley needs his, needs Mr. Darcy's permission to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's what she thinks, because she thinks Darcy has stopped this marriage. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's an unreasonable assumption to make then. Oh, Mr. Bingley can't wipe his ass without (laughs) Darcy's permission. Uh, To be crass, I apologize. Um, 
It's also yeah, yeah. I like I like another instance here where Elizabeth can't help but keep thinking about Mr. Darcy. Like, yes, oh. he is sort of tangentially related to why Mr. Bingley and Jane are not together, but like she still can't help herself but bring up Mr. Darcy into the conversation. Oh, and she is so good at railing at him. Uh like at him also, <laughs> making fun of him basically. Yeah. Yeah, like how could you think of it? Mr. Darcy may perhaps have heard of such a place as Grace Church Street, which is like that's the commercial district. Mm-hmm. But he would hardly think a month's ablu- ablution, ablution? <laughs> enough ablution. to cleanse him from its impurities where he wants to enter it. So this is like religious language she's using now. So like she's basically saying if Mr. Darcy, he is so like, you know, pretentious and particular where he'd ever go into this commercial district, he would next like spend the next month like flagellating himself <laughs> and like clean, bathing himself in holy water, and he would still feel dirty from having gone to this commercial district. Oh, that is quite yeah. That is that is that is um, that is a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, really yeah. Oh, she's making fun of him. Yeah, it's uh, hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we hardly think a month's ablution, ablution. Sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I have terrible pronunciation. But that would not be a month of flagellating himself and bathing in holy water would not be enough to cleanse him from the impurities of Great Church Street. <laughs> um... Okay, and then Mrs. Gardner says, So much the better. I hope they will not meet at all. But does not Jane correspond with the sister? She will not be able to help calling, meaning Caroline. Mm. And Elizabeth goes, She... Caroline will drop the acquaintance entirely. But, okay, this is the narrator now. Mm. But in spite of the certainty in which Elizabeth affected to place this point, as well as the still more interesting one of Bingley's being withheld from seeing Jane, Elizabeth felt a solicitude on the subject which convinced her on examination that she did not consider it entirely hopeless. It was possible and sometimes she thought it probable that his affection might be reanimated and the influence of his friends successfully combated by the more natural influence of Jane's attractions. Okay, let's break that down. Yeah. This is Austin coming in and telling us, like, facts we gotta know mm-hmm. about Elizabeth's yeah. motivations and, and she her almost sort of thoughts like, here. Yeah, she almost sort of, like, pauses the scene and then sort of, like, tells you what's going on in Elizabeth's head here. She says, but in spite of the certainty which Elizabeth affected to place this point. So what is the point that Elizabeth is affecting to place? The point being that Caroline will never see Jane again, that mm-hmm. Caroline has dropped her acquaintance with Jane. So mm-hmm. even though Elizabeth affects a certainty on this point that Jane and Caroline will never see each other again, mm-hmm. as well as the more interesting one of Bingley's being withheld from seeing Jane, mm-hmm. what does interesting mean here? Interesting, it just means the important one. So the more important issue at hand here that which is that Mr. Bingley's is being withheld from seeing Jane. Right. Okay. So in spite of the certainty that Elizabeth says she has about how Caroline has cut Jane off completely and Mr. Bingley is being separated from Jane. Mm-hmm. Purposefully. Uh-huh. Elizabeth still feels a solicitude on the subject, meaning she still like has this like soft spot about the idea of Bingley's and Jane's marriage. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, she uh-huh. still has sort of like an emotional investment in it, in I, the subject. I think that's a great way to put it, yeah. She still felt this emotional investment in the subject that convinces Elizabeth on examination that she did not consider the idea of Jane and Bingley's match entirely hopeless. Yeah, it's a really like, it, it is a sentence that sort of requires multiple um, readings, but... Here we have a lot of um a lot of um uh what's the word? Like um modifiers. Sort yes. Of. Uh-huh. Um Elizabeth affected. Affected means like pretended kind of. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Elizabeth is sort of like pretending, she's play acting this point, um, that Caroline is dropping Jane entirely. She's pretending um, that she's certain that Caroline the, has dropped Jane entirely. Exactly. Uh-huh. And she is uh, pretending that she is certain that um or rather she is yeah she's pre- the, the certainty that mr bingley is being withheld by darcy by caroline uh-huh. um from seeing jane right. despite these two things which should convince her that it, it is in fact entirely hopeless that jane will ever see bingley again she still felt elizabeth still felt a solicitude a sort of like a um 
a caring she still felt like a, a desire a caring desire on this this subject yeah like you said she still had an emotional investment in this subject yeah uh, um that and so that uh, which convinced her yeah this so, investment convinces elizabeth yeah uh, it, it's her own emotional attachment to the match between jane and bingley it's her uh, emotional attachment that convinces elizabeth um that elizabeth did not consider it entirely hopeless. It's like a head in the head versus the heart situation. Mm-hmm. In her head, and what she is saying out loud to Mrs. Gardner is that there's no hope. They're never going to see each other again. Right. But the heart sort of still tugs at the potential that maybe Jane actually can see Mr. Bingley again. There's a glimmer of hope here. Yeah. Somewhere inside of Elizabeth, there's still this feeling that there is a some kind of hope to be had in this marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. That this match might happen. And that's further. Um, described in the second sentence it was possible and sometimes elizabeth thought it probable likely yeah yeah uh, that bingley's affection might be reanimated they can like jumpstart his heart again <laughs> and the influence of his friends um oh wait reanimated and the influence of his friends successfully combated success, successfully sort of like defeated uh, by the more natural influence of jane's attractions yes Elizabeth just wants good to con- love to conquer all essentially. Right. She wants Jane's lo- Jane and Bingley's love to conquer all of these other like interested parties in in the way. Caroline, Mr. Darcy being distracted by London, all of these things. She still thinks that their love will will be stronger than all of these things. Right. So like you said, Elizabeth's brain says that she is certain that Caroline has cut Jane off completely and that Bingley will be withheld from Jane forever, right? Mm-hmm. But her heart says maybe there's still some chance that this marriage can happen. What? Hey, yeah, why do you think why do you think Austin doesn't want Elizabeth to completely give up hope? Uh, that's a good question. I think she really wishes it for Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think she is hedging like Elizabeth's cynicism. I, I think agree. yeah, I think she wants to show us that Elizabeth has not completely lost faith in humanity. There's still, like, a part of her in her deepest of hearts that believes that Bingley will come through and that people are deep down ultimately consistent and that love, <laughs> love triumphs over, like, meddling, like, influence, right? Yeah. She, I mean, in the previous chapter, chapter one of this volume, she is really sunk low. She is, like, a rock bottom in terms of, like, her cynicism. She just thinks no one is consistent and that men are evil and... That everyone's evil everyone's uh-huh, evil and yeah. that d- interested parties will get their way um but i think honestly for her to truly for elizabeth to be truly worthy of a love marriage she herself cannot give up on love if she gave up on love between jane and bingley it's almost like well she does not deserve to have a love marriage herself because she still needs to believe that love rises above everything i think yeah yeah i don't definitely agree and when you said interesting there it, it yeah. jumpstarted a little thought so but in spite of the certainty in which Elizabeth, <coughs> sorry, affected to place this point that Carolina cut Bingley off, as well as the more interesting certainty of Bingley's being withheld from Jane. Oh. Interesting could mean closer to Elizabeth's heart. You're right. Uh, you're right. Like, as well as the certainty that's even closer to Elizabeth that mm-hmm. Bingley's being withheld from Jane. Yeah. The one that Elizabeth actually has a dog in the fight for, which is, <laughs> which is, she doesn't really care about Caroline. She doesn't uh, care if Caroline ever sees Jane yeah. again. But she does care if Mr. Bingley sees Jane ever again. Absolutely. Yeah, she did not consider it entirely hopeless. It was possible. And sometimes she even thought it probable. Sometimes she even thought this was the most likely scenario. Mm. That Bingley's affections might be reanimated, like the Frankenstein of love. <laughs> and the influence of his friends successfully combated by the more natural influence of Jane's attractions. I mean, that's... That's like the purity of Jesus rising above, yeah, like, uh, Satan and, and the devil, you know? The natural influence of Jane's attractions. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> the god of the world will win out over <laughs> evil forces. Yeah, the light of Jesus will prevail. Yeah, well, I mean, reanimated even emphasizes that point. Oh, like, yeah, the, you're His right. love will be resurrected, Yeah, right? I was half joking uh, there, but uh, yeah, that's, that's in the language there. Okay, well, let's keep going. Okay. Miss Bennet accepted her aunt's invitation with pleasure, meaning Jane accepted Mrs. Gardner's invitation to London with pleasure. Mm-hmm. And the Bingleys were no otherwise in her thoughts at the time than as she hoped that, by Caroline's not living in the same house with her brother, she might occasionally spend a morning with her 
without any danger of seeing him. Oh my gosh, Jane, you are too good for this world. Yeah, so Jane is like, yes, I'd love to go to London with you. And Mr. Bingley has nothing to do with my desire to go to London. Mm -hmm. But since he's living with Mr. Darcy and Caroline is not living with Bingley, maybe I can visit with Caroline and not see him, right? Yeah, without any danger of seeing him. Why does she want to visit Caroline after Caroline has been so objectively awful to her? Because, well, do you want to answer? I have an answer also. Oh. Well, okay. If, well, okay, like, right on the surface level, it's just because, like, Jane is still so good that she will still want to see Caroline because in her mind, Caroline is still a friend. But maybe, maybe she wants to win Caroline over? I think she, I think Jane believes, like, if she has to have the best interpretation of everyone, Jane believes that Caroline has done her no wrong. Ah, okay. Like, we're still friends. Caroline hasn't done anything to hurt me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's all, like, the affection I had for Bingley was all my fault. Ah, I see, I see. Yeah, the, the interpretation I thought of, which I was even um, hesitant to say out loud, is because that's too interested. That's not something Jane would actually want. Be like, oh, well, I bet if I, I could win Caroline over and then she'll change her mind about me. It's like, that's not something Jane would actually think. You can be a bad friend, friend to Jane, and Jane will keep being your friend and also think well of you. She'll not think you're being a bad friend. She'll just think, oh, I made some sort of mistake. <laughs> it must be my fault, right? Exactly. Ugh. Okay. You want to keep going for us? Okay. The gardener stayed a week at Longbourn. And what with the Phillipses, the Lucases, and the officers, there was not a day without its engagement. Mrs. Bennet had so carefully provided for the entertainment of her brother and sister that they did not once sit down to a family dinner. When the engagement party was for home, some of the officers always made part of it, of which officers, Mr. Wickham was sure to be one. And on those occasions, Mrs. Gardner, rendered suspicious by Elizabeth's warm commendation of him, narrowly observe them both okay well, let's parse this out a little bit okay. so basically every day of the week that the gardeners are with the bennets there's some kind of they have guests over or some kind of party is happening yeah and also oh. kind of maybe that goes to show just how difficult it is to travel because like if your relatives come to visit a week you're not throwing parties every single night but maybe these occasions are so rare that it's sort of like well my brother and sister are here we have to make the most of it, and we're going to have elaborate dinner and party nights every single night at our, at our house. Yeah, I think in one way the Bennetts, Mrs. Bennett, I should <laughs> say, Mrs. Bennett is orchestrating this because she wants to impress the gardeners. Be oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we dine with four and 20 families. Look how much fun <laughs> we have in the country. Yeah. Maybe it's also, even though the gardeners are in trade, you know, it's like, oh, look at my rich London relations, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even when they're dining at home, officers are always a part of the dinner. Ugh, and Mr. Wickham, of course, is always one of those officers. I I just imagine, like, Mrs. Bennett throwing these, you know, these, these like, these parties, and then Mr. Bennett is just, like, hiding in his library, probably. Uh, oh, Mr. Bennett is not the life of the party, I think it's pretty fair to say. No, he'll eat food, and then he'll retire to his library. Uh, okay, yeah, so Mr. Wickham is always... Whenever the officers come over to dine, Mr. Wickham is always one of the officers. Mm. And Mrs. Gardner, rendered suspicious by Elizabeth's warm commendation of him. So Elizabeth has told Mrs. Gardner how much she likes Mr. Wickham. Mm. She hasn't said that, like, oh, I'm romantically attached to Wickham. She's just, like, praised his character to him, right. to Mrs. Gardner. Mm -hmm. And this puts Mrs. Gardner on her guard. She's like, uh-oh, something's going on between him and Elizabeth, right? Mm, yeah. And for that reason, she narrowly observed both of them. Mm. Without supposing them, from what she saw, to be seriously in, seriously in love, their preference of each other was plain enough to make her a little uneasy. Okay, so she sees the she sees Elizabeth and Wickham interacting, and she's like, they're not really seriously in love, but obviously they do prefer each other to other people, right? Hmm. And this makes her a little uneasy. And she resolved to speak to Elizabeth on the subject before she left Hertfordshire. And to represent and represent to her the imprudence of encouraging such an attachment, hmm. like the how, basically like that's not a good idea. Yeah. Mrs. Gardner is going to be like, hey Elizabeth, I see that you prefer Wickham and he prefers you, and like be on your guard. I I don't think this is a really good like match to pursue, right? Right. Why? We're gonna find out. We're in gonna the next find chapter. out. I. Can you surmise? <laughs> Do you want to surmise? Well, you know. He, he's not of any importance. He's just a foot soldier, you know? He's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, meh. 
it's it's not a quite it's not quite a proper match. Elizabeth is of a higher social standing than he is right off the right off the cuff. Yeah, he's handsome and charming, but he's not rich. Yeah. Elizabeth can have all three. That's what <laughs> Mrs. Gardner is saying. Yeah. And I think this kind of I was having the feeling like, oh, Mrs. Gardner is the new Charlotte now a little bit. Like she can be Elizabeth's friend, but she's not like a goody two shoes like Jane is. Right. Yeah. She can sort of put Elizabeth in her place if need be. Yeah, and she also has that kind of practical side to her. She's yeah. like, hey, I know Wickham's charming, but... Mm-hmm. And she has more experience. Uh-huh, she's yeah, married. absolutely. Oh, and she married a rich man. That's true. Even if did. he's in trade, that's still a yeah. good She match. married a rich older man. Uh-huh. Life goals. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Elizabeth, you can do the same. <laughs> you can do better than a soldier, at least. Yeah. Okay. To Mrs. Gardner, Wickham had one means of affording pleasure unconnected with his general powers his general powers meaning his like his handsome face and (laughs) his witty banter yeah so Uh, not not only is he handsome and witty he also has another means of affording pleasure specifically to mrs gardner right about 10 or a dozen years before ago before her marriage uh before mrs gardner's marriage she had spent a considerable time in that very part of derbyshire to which he belonged they had therefore many acquaintance in common and though Wickham had been little there since the death of Darcy's father five years before, it was yet in his power to give her fresher intelligence of her former friends than she had been in the way of procuring. Okay, so Mrs. Gardner, when she talks to Wickham, there's an even greater pleasure that he can give her than just being handsome and charming. Mm. And that's that they are both from Derbyshire. They both spent considerable time there, right? Mm. And for that reason, they have many acquaintance in common. And even though Wickham hadn't been there, he hadn't been in Derbyshire very recently, it was still, like, he was still able to give her fresher news of what was going on in that neighborhood yeah. that Mrs. Gardner <laughs> knew, who hadn't been there in, like, ten years. This is one particular use, I guess, of Wickham to Mrs. Gardner. like, well, he can supply me with the latest gossip of the town that I was from. Yeah, he was in Derbyshire five years ago. I was there ten years ago. So he can give me everything I missed in those five years, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, Mrs. Gardner had seen Pemberley mr darcy's estate and known the late mr darcy by character perfectly well meaning by reputation Mm -hmm. she she never met the late mr darcy mr darcy's father but she knew of his reputation here consequently was an inexhaustible subject of discourse here was something she could talk with wickham about forever for as long as they could go talking Mm. in comparing her recollection of pemberley with the minute description which wickham could give and in bestowing her tribute of praise on the character of its late possessor, meaning Mr. Darcy, and bestowing praise on the late Mr. Darcy, she was delighting both him and herself. Mm. So, okay. Um, the So, some backstory here. Mrs. Gardner had seen the stage that Mr. Mr. Darcy owns, um, mm-hmm. and uh, also sort of... Um, and sort of known Mr. the late Mr. Darcy by reputation. Right. Um, and she could talk to Wickham about this for hours on end. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she, so what she does is she compares her recollection of Pemberley with the description, the minute description, mm-hmm. the like, you know, inexhaustible descriptions that Wickham has, that Wickham could give. And in Mrs. Gardner giving her own praise on the character of the late Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. So that's... Um, Mr. Wickham's, like, father figure that yeah. he claimed him to be. Um, in praising the late Mr. Darcy, um, Mrs. Gardner delights both Wickham, Wickham and, and herself. herself. Yeah, because Wickham loves... This is what Wickham says. He loves Mr. Darcy's father because Mr. Darcy's father promised to give him this living, right? Mm-hmm. This, like, clergy position. But he hates the current Mr. Darcy because he said Mr. Darcy's son, our Mr. Darcy, reneged on that promise. Mm. Just to emphasize that backstory. (laughs) On being made acquainted with the present Mr. Darcy's treatment of him, on Mrs. Gardner's being made acquainted with the present Mr. Darcy's treatment of Mr. Wickham, she tried to remember something of that gentleman's reputed disposition when quite a lad, which might agree with Wickham's description, and was confident at last that she recollected having heard Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy formerly spoken of as a very proud, ill-natured boy. All right. That's Mr. Darcy's. The current Mr. Darcy's first name is Fitzwilliam, by the way. Yeah. So here we just learned what his first name uh-huh. is, is Fitzwilliam. Um, yeah. So, and then it seems like 
on being made acquainted with the present Mr. Darcy's treatment of Mr. Wickham. So once Mrs. Gardner found out about how Ms. the current Mr. Darcy treated Mr. Wickham, about he treat, how he treated Wickham so horribly. According to Mr. Wickham. According right. to Mr. Wickham. Mrs. Gardner tries to remember something of Mr. Darcy's reputed disposition when he was like a child. Because yeah. that's the only source of Mrs. Gardner's rec- memories of Derbyshire's when she when it was, was like 12 years ago when Darcy was also like a child. Yeah, Wickham tells Mrs. Gardner, Darcy did this terrible thing to me. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Gardner tries to remember back of like the reputation that Mr. Darcy had when he was a child. <laughs> Which might agree with it, which might agree with what Mr. Wickham said. Mm -hmm. And was confident at last that uh, Mrs. Gardner recollected having heard Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy formerly spoken of as a very proud, ill-natured boy. Yes, so she remembers, she, Wickham tells Mrs. Gardner this story. Mr. Gardner, (laughs) Mrs. Gardner thinks back to what she heard of Darcy when she was living in Derbyshire. Mm. And she's like, you know what? That kind of lines up. People have told me that he was very proud and ill-natured, right? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Like I remember, like, I think I heard something about the the son being proud and ill-natured as a child. It's not a very positive recollection. It's not like Mrs. Gardner was like, oh, you know what? I met Mr. Darcy as a kid and he was terrible to Mm -hmm. me. She never met him. This is just stuff that she heard, that she remembers back to like, oh, what did people say about Mr. Darcy when he was a lad? He was, he was spoken of. Yeah. Not even her own memory. Uh, it's a memory of someone else telling her that the young Mr. Darcy, the him as a boy, was proud and ill-natured. Right. So these are the conversations that Mrs. Gardner and Mr. Wickham are having together. Yeah, Mr. Wickham, I love that he is... All too happy to relay his tales of woe to any new set of ears. And in this case, the new set of ears was Mrs. Gardner. Yeah, the last chapter in, ended where he told all the Bennets about how much he hates Darcy. And now he's telling their, like, extended relations, <laughs> too. I think this has partly to do with the fact that Darcy's out of the neighborhood. Oh, totally. Yeah, um, now he's able to come out of his troll hole and really, like, like really just, like, talk shit about Darcy with, like, total, um, like, a, you know, with... Pretty much total impunity here. If we remember the chapter where he first, like, trashed Darcy to Elizabeth, he is acting kind of circumspect. He's like, oh, I don't want to criticize people, you know, like, don't spread this around. But now he's just like, you know, anyone who will listen, I hate Darcy. (laughs) He he used me ill. Yeah. Not so indifferent than Mrs. Bennet in his own way, I suppose. That is true. Yeah, Mrs. Bennet is also, like, all too quick to tell Mrs. Gardner, before probably Mrs. Gardner even, like, took off her hat, just how ill-used she was was by, like, everyone around her, her neighbors, her daughters, the Bingleys, everyone. So I think the important takeaways from this chapter are we've met the Gardners, Jane is going to go to London with them, and even though she doesn't expect to meet up with Mr. Bingley, she thinks maybe she can meet up with Caroline when she's in London. Yes. What else? What else do you think is an important takeaway? Hmm. That Elizabeth maybe still has, there's still a little bit of hope living in Elizabeth that the Bingley Jane match could happen. Yeah, yeah. She's keeping that to herself. She's not uh, going to, she's not going to, gonna, she's not going to go around saying that there's still hope because that seems almost like a Mrs. Bennett thing to do. It'd be to like, oh, well, he'll come back for the summer. It's, yeah. It's she, it's not even, I don't know. It almost wavers between actually believing it and just sort of like hoping it. She doesn't even tell Mrs. Gardner, who is a close confidant of yeah. hers, that she thinks that it could still happen. Even to, like, someone who's a close friend, Elizabeth is still outwardly like, this is never going to happen. Mm. Bingley and Jane are off the table. But I feel like if she said that to Mrs. Bennet, Mrs. Bennet would take that little glimmer of hope as a sure <laughs> thing. It's like, oh, it's happening? <laughs> I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me sooner? No, Miss Elizabeth would never say that uh, to Mrs. Bennet. <laughs> she would never feed that fire. Okay. Well, yeah, so that's volume two, chapter two. Mm-hmm. Grace, what's our email address again? Secondimpressionspod at gmail.com. Please email us yes. if you have anything you want to tell us. Yes. If you want to tell me how to correctly pronounce ablutions. <laughs> yeah, let us let us know your thoughts, your questions, comments, opinions, um, theories. If you if you Ooh, never read the book, yeah. theories about what you are you where you think this book is going. Um, we'd be happy to read those out loud on on our podcast okay well let's wrap it up there all right cool well thank you for listening Mm -hmm. everyone and we will see you in volume two chapter three that's right all right i've been tom and i'm grace bye